Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. Glad all of you are here. And uh, welcome, welcome. We're going to jump into the message in just a moment, but I, I want to give you a free sermon uh, or a free talk to begin with. We uh, our, our, um, our our church family, the Dogwood Church family, is affiliated with a, a, a denomination, a group of churches, voluntarily uh, called the Southern Baptist Convention. Now we. We, uh, we cooperate with all Jesus-loving, Bible-believing churches worldwide in accomplishing God's purposes and, and gladly do so. But we, we have voluntarily affiliated with the Southern Baptists uh, because there are some things we can do better with others than we can do individually, like uh, world mission strategy and, and training of uh, pastors and church leaders for ch- churches all over the world. Um, the our, our denomination, however, um, in its over 150-year history, if you go back to our beginnings, we have some sinful roots related to the slavery issue. It's part of our past. And um, years and years ago, decades ago, the Lord dealt with our entire denomination on this, and we repented publicly. And have continued to do so. Part, part, you know, the scriptures say, uh, I think it's in the writings of the Apostle Paul. I think it's in Romans. I can't get the address of the verse to come to mind uh, right now. It says something like this, that when we are to repent in the response of the call of God on our lives, whether it's individuals or families or churches or, you know, the people of God is a large group. It says that we are to repent and then do deeds that give evidence of repentance. And the implication there is that this repentance is ongoing. You know, it, it's a, when we're walking with Jesus, we live a lifestyle of continual repentance, changing our mind about ourself, our sin, and Jesus, and keep adjusting our relationship with Him so that we walk with Him in holiness and obedience and love and grace. As just one part of uh, our denomination of churches, repentance on this issue of uh, racial and ethnic uh, prejudice that expressed itself with, with some of our founders being involved in slavery. Uh, as part of that ongoing repentance, years and years, decades ago, uh, we established one Sunday a year that every church related to us, more than 50,000 of them in the USA and Canada, North America, we uh, have what we call Racial Reconciliation Sunday. That's today. So we're joining with more than 16 million people affiliated with churches just like ours who are consciously thinking about this issue and and repenting again and asking God to do a miracle and do in us what human beings have not been able to do for themselves for thousands of years. And that's root out something wrong in us. Now, if you go back and study the, the issue of, of uh, racial and ethnic prejudice, you find that it's worse than we thought. 
you find that it's been a pervasive spiritual and moral and ethical and lifestyle problem of human beings back all the way back to the beginning of recorded history. On every continent, in every country, in every community, for thousands of years, we've had this problem. So where did it come from? Well, the, the Scriptures tell us, God tells us, way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, that it came when, when we disobeyed God, when human sin entered the world, that it, it, gave, it created a sin nature in us. And it shows up all kinds of ways. Just one of the ways it shows up in unredeemed people, unsaved people, left to ourselves, all human beings, we have this thing of let's get our group over here and we don't like you group over there, whoever it is. Uh, The New Testament has a word for it. It's called factions. We have a preference and a gravitational pull to divide, to division and then to dislike and then to hatred, and then prejudice, and all this, all this stuff. Now, how many of you were born and raised in North America, United States of America? Most, most of us here. I mean, this is where we live. The, the most visible expression of that in our, in our country has been black and white, right? Yeah, it still, still is. It's not the only one. It's not the only one, but, but we're, that's when we think about it, that's what we think about. And so um, we're, we're still... We're still struggling with this. Now, the only place I'm seeing this redeemed and changed is in the, ch- the church of Jesus Christ, in genuine following Him and Him changing people's hearts and changing families' hearts and churches' hearts and then systems and society as God's people who He turns into people who rather than dividing up into groups we seek, to love all people, even our enemies, as Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we observe that today, and we remember that today. Now, I want to make it even more personal. I want to come down to me and you. Um, Three weeks ago, when I began kind of warming you up to the idea that it was time to add a third worship service, we started talking about it three or four weeks ago that a, new, a third service was coming. We needed to make more room. And, um, and three weeks ago, I made a statement, something like this. I said, um, so I'm going to ask you to always maybe scoot over some and either change seats uh, and possibly change service, move, move seats and move services to make room for more people coming. And then just kind of flippantly, I said, I mean, it's not like I'm asking you to go to Africa. I, I heard from some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, several of you, uh, of, of, uh, in the family, all across the board, ethnically speaking, saying, that felt like a shot at Africa. And, and, it, and it, it was hurtful. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for that. Uh, I, I, my, one of my prayers... You know, I have to say a lot of words, and the Scripture says where there's a lot of words, it's hard not to sin, so, and hard not to be misunderstood, and hard not to, you know. So I want to apologize because my intention is to always be what the Scriptures say. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to help everyone. Let no um, 
uh, corrupt speech proceed from your mouth, only that which is good for building others up. Now, that's one of my constant prayers for me. So some of you were wounded by that statement, and I apologize. I did not have any intention of, of hurting you. And let me, let me, I had, actually I had no concept or thought about a geographic prejudice or ethnic prejudice or it, that was not the, my point. I just happened from the, from the hip to choose the continent of Africa when I was saying, I'm, I'm just asking you to move chairs, not move to another continent. Just being silly. It, it had absolutely, so some who, people who love me said, were you, were you indicating that you think Africa's a bad place to go or a lesser place to go? And let me hear you say, absolutely not. I've always wanted to go. Um, our, our congregation is, um, is a multinational congregation. Now, the most, of us, most of us are native-born North Americans, and most of us United States of America. But last count, this is not accurate, but we're approaching the number 70 of the number of individuals who are currently members of the Dogwood Church family who were born and raised in other countries. You, you came here from other countries, and many of you are Africans, and uh, from countries in Africa, and you and we love each other. Um, we we have had and have now members of the Dogwood Church family from who are uh, from Ethiopia. Uh, I'm just now quickly running around the continent: Kenya, uh, Tanzania, um, Nigeria, Benin, Liberia, South Africa. I'm missing one or two. Um, I mean, you're, this is our church family. And so, no, 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 no. That thought never entered my mind. Again, it just happened to be, I could have said, I'm not asking you to move to Canada and just move a chair. I'm not asking you to move to Mexico. I could have, you know, I, that, was, that was my intent. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be misunderstood, especially as we approach this Sunday of the year when we're reminded of the difficulty that we have in this world with racial and ethnic uh, prejudice. So, um, anyway, I just wanted to be clear about that on the front end. So, oh, no. But, I mean, I mean thank you, but, but you know, I don't... You know, we're to go the extra mile as brothers and sisters in Christ to ensure unity, to ensure our love and respect for each other, to affirm it. And uh, we can't do that too much. We can't do that uh, too much. And there was something else I was going to tell you about this, but I've gone brain dead. <laughs> I, can't remember what that, I can't remember what that was. So, now... Let's, uh, let's pray about these things. Would you join me? And so, Lord, we come to you now, joining at least 50,000 of our sister churches in North America in praying for spiritual awakening in the hearts and lives of individuals that you would 
change our hearts and give us, rather than being prejudiced people towards some other group or groups, that you would make us like you, have big loving hearts for all people in all ethnic groups, in all nations, in all communities, that you would love people through us, that you would turn us into the kind of people who love you and love people. And even, as you say dramatically in the Sermon on the Mount, that we would even love our enemies. Whoa, Lord, what an outrageous thought. But would make it so, Lord Jesus. And so we... uh, We give you thanks for these things. And now we ask that you open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word as we seek to come back to you and to help others to come back to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. We've got a few uh, English students in here and uh, literature students. And so I've got an opening uh, reminder for you. How many Edgar Allan Poe uh, fans do we have in here? You're, so you're probably a melancholy person if you are. But it, anyway, wow, what a writer. And uh, I, I think uh, the most famous short story that I have that Poe wrote is one that's probably most familiar called The Telltale Heart. You know that one? That one is the, it's the story about a young man who lived in a boarding house and uh, he developed an irrational and vindictive hatred for, a, for an elderly man who lived in the same boarding house in another room. And this hatred grew and grew and grew until one night the young man went to the old man's room and took his life. He murdered him and then he pulled up the floorboards and he buried him. He put him under the... Um, He put him under the floorboards there, covered up his crime. At 4 a.m., when the police were coming to examine the crime scene and try to figure out what had gone on and searched, he sat confidently in his room uh, thinking that I have gotten away with my crime. And then suddenly he began to hear what Edgar Allan Poe said was the, sounded like the ticking of a watch wrapped in cotton. And then it became like the ticking of an, of, a, of an alarm clock. And then it grew to become a thud, thud, thud. And then he realized what he was hearing was a heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. And it got louder and louder. And he thought, oh no, the old man's heart is beating and is going to give away what I have done. And he lost his mind uh, over the whole thing. Well, what he was hearing was his own guilty heart beating. Now, what, we, what, we, what this reminds us of out of Edgar Allan Poe's story is that whatever we may do may have, in the end, surprising consequences that we never, never can conceal. Now, we have been, we have been going to the historical account in the Bible of the, of the life of King David, the most famous of the, Israeli, the ancient Israeli kings, to an incident that was tragic. We find that King David at one point, the man after God's own heart, the one who penned the 23rd Psalm, God's champion messed up. I mean, he messed up intentionally. He neglected his responsibility as king. He abused his power 
And being the most powerful man in the world, he powered up over a powerless woman, the wife of another man, had her brought to the palace, seduced her, sent her home. She conceived, so he tried to cover it up by having her husband, Uriah, murdered. And then tried to cover it up from God in the country for about a year until finally God's prophet, Nathan, came and confronted him on his sin. Confronted him on his sin. And he repented. And he'd been away from God for about a year, but he came back. And what we have is uh, in Psalm 51 is the record of David's journey back to God, back to being cleansed and forgiven and reconciled to God. It's a map for you and a map for me. Now, the previous four Sundays, we've been walking through this. Today, we come to the passage where he comes to, the, comes to grips with the possibility of consequences that his drifting away from God and the sin he committed in the midst of that may have set in motion. And he prayed about those consequences. We find it beginning in uh, verse 14 down through verse 17. So if you've got your copy of the Bible, if it's a digital copy, turn it on. If it's a hard copy, open it up to the 51st Psalm and scroll down to verse 14. This is God's Word. It's going to be on the screen. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, O God. Now, as you and I consider this journey back to God, uh, there, there are three things here in these verses that we can pray. First of all, we may pray. We have permission to pray. It's okay to pray. It's good to pray that uh, God would deliver us from the consequences of our sins. We must ask for Him to open our lips so that we can testify to His mercy and grace again. And we must come to God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. But we're going to spend most, if not all, of our time today on the first of those. When we are coming back to God, we may, it's okay, we should, we may pray and ask God to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. That's going to be on the screen if you want to write that down. Number one, we may ask God to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. Here's how he prayed it in verse 14. He said, save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, God of my salvation. Now underline that phrase, guilt of bloodshed. Now some English translations, many of them translate it this way. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. How many of you have that one in your... Yeah, blood guiltiness. Now, uh, in all the verses prior to verse 14, uh, we see David calling for God out there, up there to blot out the sin in in my heart and cleanse me and forgive me and take me back. Like in verse 1, he prayed, blot out my transgressions. In verse 2, he prayed, wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7, he prayed, purify me and wash me. In verse 10, he prayed, create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God. So therefore, at this point in his prayer, David is absolutely certain that inwardly, his heart and his life and his soul have been for, forgive, cleansed uh, 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 and, and, renew, and reconciled to God. And out there, up there, God has forgiven him 
in his record book, out there, up there, he's done so. Those are the, those are the first two dimensions of, of Christians, followers of Jesus, who decide to move away intentionally, drift away or backslide, become disobedient children. Uh, but there's a third dimension to our sin and disobedience, and he prays for it here. I mean, the first one is heaven. In heaven, we know our being away from God may be forgiven. Second dimension, we know that inwardly our hearts may be cleansed and renewed and our relationship restored. But the third dimension of our sin is this. It's the outward consequences. It's the outward consequences we've set in motion. It is, it's the aftershocks, the, the natural result, uh, the natural outcome, the sums, uh, the events that our sin is a result of our rebellion against God have naturally set in motion. Now, even, let, me, let me emphasize it here. Even though it is eternally true that God forgives up in heaven and cleanses us within when we repent genuinely and come back to Him as we've studied the past four weeks, there is nowhere in the Bible where God promises to always deliver us from the consequences of our disobedience. There's nowhere there that he promises us. Now, this is what David means in verse 14 when he says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed or deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. For that phrase, uh, those phrases come from an Old Testament word uh, that literally means the consequences. Lord, would you short-circuit the consequences? Now, when I was a youth minister and we'd hear youth speakers speak to high school and college guys at conferences, they would say something like this uh, about consequences. They'd say, now guys, for example, some of you are here, you're disobeying God, you spend the weekend sowing your wild oats and you spend Monday and Sunday and Monday praying for crop failure. Well, David's praying for crop failure here. Oh God, what have I done? And he sees, I have set some things in motion in all these realms of my life. I'm praying for crop that would you deliver me from the consequences of my sin? And um, he, he was hearing the telltale heart. Oh God, I fear something's coming that I have set in motion. I know you've forgiven me. I know you've taken me back and you've restored the joy of my salvation. And I know we're okay, but I have set some things in motion. Would you stop them? The great uh, pastor, John Bassanio, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, he's in heaven now. He used to say it this way, sin always has some surprises down the road in terms of consequences. Have we got that one on the screen? Have we got that quote? Yeah, look at that. Sin always has some surprises down the road in terms of consequences. Now, when we're younger, it seems more difficult for us to connect uh, cause and effect, doesn't it? I mean, I really just just say, why don't you all spend the rest of the hour praying, and I'm going to go talk to the high school students about this. But I find that many of us who are grown, we keep bumping our head on the same rock. We just keep, and we don't, we don't connect. If I, when I do this, this bad stuff happens. And, and God knows that it 
It will. You and I can experience the forgiveness of God, of the Lord Jesus in heaven, and the cleansing of our hearts and the renewal of our relationship with Christ when we come back to Him in faith. But it is up to the grace and the providence of our Lord Jesus whether or not the consequences of our sin will follow. It's up to Him. I mean, think about this. Uriah... The murdered man had a family. Bathsheba had a family. David had a family. Now, the historical record shows, all of the evidence shows, that even though David prayed this in faith and he begged God to forgive uh, the consequences of his sin, that they would be stopped, God said, no. He answered the prayer, but the answer was no. God let the consequences play out. I mean, for example, the child born from the union of David and Bathsheba died. David already had a son, his favorite son. His name was Absalom, and he witnessed what his daddy did. And he despised his daddy, and later when he got grown, he led a rebellion against him. even had tried to have his own dad assassinated. It broke his daddy's heart. It broke David's heart. His favorite general knew what David had done, and later on, his favorite general saddened him, rebelled against him in this. Uh, Hey, here's more example. Over 3,000 years later, there's about 1,000 people sitting on the campus of Dogwood Church, and we're talking about David behind his back. I mean, we are dragging his dirty laundry out and, and trying to benefit from it our, ourselves. Those are con- these, he let these consequences play out. God did. He, he did that. You say, well, pastor, what's the bottom line here? Well, here it is. Sometimes God intervenes and he blocks the consequences of our sin by his grace. Uh, but at other times in his providence and wisdom, he lets sin have its full consequences. And they, they might follow us all the days of our, our lives. It, you say, well, what, how, do you understand that? Not, some I do, but it's pretty much in the mystery of God's will. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine with me that there's a river flowing from here down to the sea, and there's a boat tied to a landing um, uh, at the river. Now, if, if, if I were, cut that rope, it's going to set that boat adrift. Unless I reach and grab the railing of the boat or the other end of the rope and then therefore by the strength of my arm I keep the boat from floating away to its destruction. But if I did not reach and grab it, that boat would naturally be set in motion with the river. It would float to the sea and be lost at sea. Just the same way when you and I sin and disobey God, the boat's cut loose from the dock. Whether it's for five minutes, five days, five weeks, five months, five decades, the boat cuts loose. And, and yet in the mystery of the God's love and providence, sometimes in the midst of our sin and rebellion and disobedience, He just grabs the boat. He just grabs the boat. I don't know why. It's a miracle of God's grace, but he does it. But at other times, he does not grab the boat. He does not grab the rope. And our choosing to go away from Christ as his child puts in motion consequences, results, 
costs that run their natural course and affect our, our, our lives. Now, I want you to know, if it was not for the grace of, of God intervening in my life personally uh, to hold back and keep back the consequences of my sin all in my past, I would not be standing here as your pastor today. God has been gracious to me. I don't know why. He did not owe me. And David prayed here for God to save him from the consequences that he'd set in motion. Uh, but God let him reap what he had sown. See, in the New Testament, it describes it this way. A man re- uh, reaps what he sows. That's, that's, that God is saying here, um, anytime there's a command of God, a positive command, he says, do this. It's God saying, help yourself to the best. This is for your blessing. Anytime God says, do not or thou shalt not in Scripture, it's not because He's the great cosmic killjoy. It's not because He wants to mess up your life. He's saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt the people closest to you. Don't hurt your, your church. Don't hurt your community. Don't hurt your nation. Don't hurt your, this world because it's not all about just you. Everything we do affects everyone else. Everything we do affects everyone else. And when we disobey God, we set some things. He said, you set some things naturally in motion that are not good. And so he said, obey me and you, you, you prevent those consequences from ever playing out on the world. From ever playing out on the world. You know, you can, dri- you can break the law of the land and drive too fast... And you can have an accident and an innocent person be killed. And God will forgive you. Jesus will forgive you if you repent and cleanse you and take you back in your relationship with Him be good. But most likely, He's not going to resurrect that innocent person from the dead. I've never seen it happen. They're still dead. Uh, you, you, you can cheat on a test. God know it. And He can forgive you. Uh, You can get caught, and God can forgive you and will forgive you and take you back and cleanse you from that, but you'll still probably be kicked out of school. I had a buddy who, like a bunch of us, you know, when you turn 21, everybody says, hey, it's 21, we can legally buy a drink. I don't recommend it. He did. And then he told me at a a reunion one time, he said, you know, there's about a 10-year period in my life I can't remember. And became an alcoholic, a lot of bad things happened, lost his driver's license. He repented, came back to Christ, and, uh, and he was forgiven and cleansed. And Jesus took him back, and he had joy in his salvation. But you know what? He still didn't have a driver's license. Still couldn't remember 10 years of his life. You can use cocaine, as one of my buddies did, and lose his job. He, he came and repented and was forgiven by Christ and but he still lost his job. Sin has affected human hearts in such a way that we have other pervasive sins that affect all of humanity. We've talked about ethnic and racial prejudice and difficulties and conflict. That's one of them. But you know, another area where humanity is broken is in sexuality. I don't know a single human being that's not, met, that's not broken God's will and ways sexually, either at least, at least mentally, which Jesus said, you get credit for the whole thing. 
That's kind of a loose translation of the Sermon on the Mount, but that is what he said. And so we have a lot of problems with that. You know, he, he basically says, I created sex and it's, I gave it as a gift to human beings and it's to be expressed only in the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, husband and wife. Everything outside of that is sec- falls under the umbrella biblically of sexual immorality. And uh, no matter what the cultural norms are, every, and so I don't know any, any human being that's not been broken in this in this area, and it's caused a lot of problems. I, I was in youth ministry for a lot of years, about 12, 15 years, and I would have stu- high school students come to me and they'd say, you know, we got out of control sexually. The Christians, followers of Jesus, we got out of control sexually. We've been involved sexually. We've been sexually active, and now we're expecting a child. Will God, Jesus, forgive us? Certainly. Let's, let's, and I walk them through this thing. Yes, of course. Cl- forgive you, cleanse you, take you back. Well, c- well, what about our church family? Yes. And, and many uh, would arrange to, to speak, get up before their church family. Did a good thing to be free from this. So, same thing with it. We're, this, this is going to kind of be a public thing. And we, we got out of control and we got sexually active. We know this was not what the Lord wanted. We're expecting a child. We've asked him to forgive us. Would you forgive us? And they fall off. Of course, you're forgiven. You don't ever have to worry about it again. But you know what? They were still expecting. They're still still expecting a child. I have a a boyhood friend, and uh, when he got out of high school, you know, we, we all we all have because of human sin. Our sexual desires are wayward. I mean, so what do you mean by that? I mean, we we want to express our sexuality in ways that God says, no, 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 don't hurt yourself. That's not good for you. It's not good for the world. And so, when my boyhood friend uh, left home, he decided he was a follower of Jesus, came to Christ as a as a child, but said, no, nah, I'm I'm interested. In, and his idol was was this. We all have different idols. And so he he went another direction full force with sexual desires. He contracted a sexually transmitted disease, and it was going to take his life. And he 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 was weak. He was not he couldn't do this. But he asked his dad to call me if I ask if I'd come see him. Of course. So I traveled to the town where he lived. He was. Uh, on his deathbed, really, he lived a few more weeks, but he was in bed, and we sat and talked for a long time. And he, I mean, he, we loved and liked each other. And he said, "I want to talk to you about this." He said, "You know, I, I chose. I knew this was not what the Lord Jesus wanted me to do, but I chose this anyway. And now I'm in this condition." And he said, "I, I got to ask you a question." Sure. He said, "Will Will Jesus forgive me?" Yes. And will he, take, will he take me back? Yes. Yes. And I took him to Psalm 51, just like I've been doing with you guys. And we walked through this, and he said, oh, wonderful. I said, well, let's, I grabbed his hand and said, let's pray. And you, you, can, you can come back right now. And he says in the book of Isaiah, with open arms, I will welcome you back. And he did. And he did. He forgave him up there, out there 
in his record book and he totally washed him and cleansed him from all of his sin and rebellion and they were reconciled and he had the joy of salvation returned to him and he still died a young man and I officiated his funeral and I miss him So, this thing, of, this thing of moving away from Jesus is serious. It's serious. And it can bring serious consequences. And sometimes God stops them and sometimes He doesn't. But we can ask Him to. He says, if you can ask me. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.